Do you have staurophobia? I do. Now, before I tell you what that is, let me describe some symptoms of it or some ways you might be able to see if you have this. If something doesn't go your way and you become agitated or irritable or just a nasty person to be around, you might have staurophobia. If the worst thing for you is physical or psychological discomfort or pain, you might have staurophobia. If you find it difficult to keep perhaps your Lenten sacrifices or sacrifices throughout the year, you might have staurophobia. Now, I haven't looked up this word to see if it's actually in the Webster's Dictionary or I haven't even typed it into Google, but you might find the word because it was coined by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. In Greek, the word stauros means cross. Of course, we know, all know the word phobia to be a fear. So, do you have a fear of the cross? I'd like to say I didn't, but I do. St. Paul, in our second reading today, also experienced a fear of the cross. It says here that he had a thorn in the flesh that was given to me, an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. And he begs the Lord three times that this thorn in the flesh be, re be removed. Now, the word that is uh, translated as thorn, uh, probably more accurately here should be translated as a stake. It's something not just a small little thing, but something, um, a massive uh, thing being driven into his flesh. Now, many people have talked about what is it that Paul was suffering from? Some say it was some type of spiritual temptation, temptation of pride, something in, in his spirit or in intellect. That God gave that to him as a way of kind of knocking him down or keeping him humble. Others have said it was some kind of, because it says thorn in the flesh, some kind of temptation against chastity. Others have said maybe it was a physical type of ailment. There's an indication in Paul's journeys that perhaps some of his followers got malaria and perhaps Paul himself got it. And uh, some who have described it, describe it as this kind of piercing pain in the temple of the forehead or on the side of the, the head uh, felt like a, a, a hot stake was being driven into, into one's head. Possibly that. There are also indications in Paul's writings that um, he may have had some trouble with his eyesight later. In fact, it says, Paul says at the end of some of his letters, see my own handwriting, how big letters I write. Regardless, though, of whatever this suffering of Paul, or this cross is, he too seeks to flee from it. But what's the answer that he gets? 
It's a beautiful thing for us to reflect on when we feel that we're being driven or pulled to the edge of our, of our resources. God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. There's a beautiful doctrine in this, a beautiful teaching, and that is that God will never let us be tempted or go undergo a trial that will go beyond his grace or beyond our strength when we're united to him. If we try to do it alone, if we try to overcome a temptation alone, or we try to just bear the suffering alone, yes, it may be too much for us. But if we rely on God's grace, it will not. God goes on and says, after he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. This is something very hard for us to grasp. We think that power is something that goes from one bound to the next. And yet in God's logic, his power is made manifest in weakness. What does the scripture tell us? You choose the weak and make them strong in bearing witness to you. Think about the band of apostles. If somebody was going to start an international organization that was going to be successful, why would you choose <laughs> the 12, mostly from a limited region, kind of the backwaters of Israel? Because God's power is shown in our human weakness. How do we begin to overcome that fear of the cross? Or how do we become, begin to take up our cross? Remember, the Lord says to us, as he said to his disciples of old, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. There's many Christians out there today who want Jesus apart from the cross. But there's no true Christianity apart from the cross. So how do we take up the cross joyfully, not just begrudgingly? If we want to look at the stages, there first is kind of that begrudging way of accepting it. Okay, this is my cross. I got to carry it. Got to put up with this person. Got to put up with this ailment. Or maybe it's even a temptation that seems to keep beating us down. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's anger. And we feel like we can't just shake it. God's bringing us to that point of weakness where we can say, God, I need you. I can't deal with this on my own. Give me your strength. And that's where he can then become, his power can be made manifest in our lives. But then there's something more where we need to come to the point, not only where we accept the crosses reluctantly, but where we can actually experience God's love through the cross. If you don't have the cross in your life, something is maybe going wrong. The cross is actually a sign of God's love because we all have sin. We all have things where we fall short of the glory of God. And the cross is God's way of purifying us, of preparing us for heaven. In the Old Testament, David, the king and prophet, 
meditated on those who go through life without any cross, without any difficulties. And at first he was experiencing this feeling of jealousy. He describes how he even came to the point where he said, it's useless to follow God when the wicked man has everything going right for him. And then reflecting more deeply on that, he said, then I came to realize the foolishness of my ways and how God allows those who are on the way to perdition, on the way to destruction, to slide or slip. David describes it as their bodies are sound and sleep. They have no cares. But God chastises his own or he allows the cross in their lives in order that they might be made perfect. So to not have the cross is actually a sign of God's rejection. I know that goes contrary to everything else that our society tells us. So maybe you might be saying, well, I don't have any big crosses in my life. Maybe, maybe God's punishing me or maybe God's forgotten about me. Don't worry, they'll come. But maybe if you have the cross and you're experiencing it in a heavy way right now, or even just in a, a way where you're, maybe it's not that bad, but you're taking it too bad, realize that that is a kiss from the cross. God loving you. God inviting you to become perfect. Then there are those who not only accept the cross, find God's love through it, These are the saints, the ones who actually pray for the cross, who desire the cross in their lives because it conforms them to their master. It makes them like Jesus. Two little girls that I want to tell you about. The first was um, from Portugal, St. Jacinta. She wanted to suffer more for sinners because she wanted, you know, she's great. She's one of the three children who saw Our Lady in Fatima, great visionary. She and her brother got very sick. She ends up dying far away from her family because she's taken to the hospital in Lisbon. Her family can't travel and be there with her, so she dies alone but not really alone because Jesus is there with her. And she's even given the opportunity. She's asked, Jacinta, by by Mary, do you want to come home now or do you want to stay and suffer more for Jesus? And she chooses to stay and suffer more for Jesus and for sinners. That's heroic love. That's heroically embracing the cross. We may not be at that place yet, but we're called by the end of our life to be at that place where we embrace the cross, where we kiss it, because it is not only the sign of our salvation from sin, but it is the means by which God allows us to participate in our redemption and in the redemption of others. The other young lady was in Italian. Chiara, meaning light, Um, shining bright, Chiara Badan. And she had, um, I believe, cancer 
You see some of the photos of her. She's just radiating with God's love. But she chose purposefully not to take the pain medicines because she said, I want to suffer as much as I can for Jesus. Wow. That's heroic. Now, it doesn't mean that when we take pain medicines or aspirin or Tylenol or something like that, that we're shrugging the cause or that we're shrinking from it. But it should cause us to pause for a moment and say, am I really accepting the cross in my life? Am I really open to to seeing even the little things that perturb me or go against my grain, wreck my plans? Is perhaps God seeking to get through to me, seeking to tell me, take up your cross, follow me, my grace is sufficient for you, and power is made perfect in weakness. Paul had to learn this, and so do we. Post-homily reflection. So, I did get to look up on Google and found out that post that starophobia, rather, is an actual condition where somebody is afraid of the cross or crucifix. This is obviously not how I'm using it in the homily. I'm using it as fear of our crosses or our difficulties, things we have to bear in life. I am not saying in the homily that I have (laughs) starophobia. I don't fear the crucifix or the cross. If somebody has this, obviously this is a difficulty and a, and, a, and a cross in itself to bear. So probably Bishop Fulton Sheen didn't actually coin the word, but he used it in a creative sense. Hope this clarification helps. God bless you all.